Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today on the podcast, we are talking with a, a new friend of mine, uh, Pastor Robbie has known him for a little while now, yeah. Winfield Bevins, which I have to say, that name is incredible. Yes. For me, it is like I am with a modern day Wesley. Or George Whitfield. Or, or Wesley. George Whitfield. Yeah. It's like Whitfield it Wesley. That would be an incredible name, by the way. Combination of the two. It's yeah. a combination of the two. I never thought of it. That's why I like his name. <laughs> I know. So it's like Winfield. That's a theologically rich name. Yeah, I don't know what your parents were thinking, but I appreciate. You were destined for greatness for that name in the kingdom. <laughs> I, I was destined to write books with That's right. like Phil Bevins. <laughs> that is a powerful name on a book. Yeah. I got to say, I'm going to pick it up just for name alone. And so we're going to let you tell us just a little bit about um, just a little bit about your background, and then Pastor Robert, we're going to jump in there with some some great insights because we have a lot in common with uh with our friend winfield when it comes to thinking about how we do ministry yeah and uh and you've got some incredible insights in movements and just some of the way we practice uh what we are doing today as believers in the church so if you don't mind tell us a little bit about yourself yeah absolutely um so i direct the church planning initiative at asbury theological seminary asbury's uh it's a 90 year old seminary it's uh probably one of the top 10 largest seminaries in the world. Uh, it's global, uh, but it also has this deep Wesleyan heritage. And so prior to coming to Asbury, um, I'd been involved with church planning for about a decade on the East Coast. I'd launched a, kind of an interdenominational network of churches, and there ended up um, doing my doctorate at Southeastern, where I studied with Ed Stetzer and kind of got connected with the larger church planning movement. We won't hold that movement. against you, by the way. Don't hold that against me We won't hold that against you. So yeah, so I've been doing church planning work for 15 plus years, um, but with that really have developed a real heart for discipleship and formation and the need for kind of the recovery of, of that here in the 21st century in North America. Yeah, and that's how Winfield and I connected. So for years, I would go to conferences. I was at Exponential, I remember like two or three years ago, and somebody came up to me and said, do you know Winfield Bevins? And I was like, no, I've never heard. Like, you need to know Winfield. So I think I picked up marks of a movement back then as a paperback, small paperback, Yeah. right? And it was kind of a small pa- – and then I'm like, man, this guy's like-minded. And then I think about a year ago we connected, a little over a year ago we connected, had a great phone call, and both of us shared our passion for John Wesley mm-hmm. uh, and our passion for discipleship. And so uh, that's when we connected over the Seed Conference, and then we started to talk about what would it look like to partner together. And so here we are uh, mm-hmm. now. And so I had the privilege yesterday of speaking with Winfield and Alan Hurst mm-hmm. uh, at a – uh, conference for pastors, really, and leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, on how to create a movement of disciple-making. So let us talk a little bit about, because uh, this is really what I think will help our listeners. If you don't know Winfield, you'll, you'll, you'll get to know him here, and then you'll want to research his books, and very helpful. Particularly, one of the books he just gave us on family discipleship. Let's come back to that, okay. Dylan, remind us, because I want to promote that at the end. This is something Chris and I have been living in and doing with our own kids. But talk to us a little bit about movements. This is where you have spent a long time just really studying how movements happen, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about discipleship movements. We're talking about really awakening. You know, I think we need awakening in this country. Those listening would say, 
I'm with you. We need awakening. So share with us some of the some of the highlights of how we see awakening. What did you learn from the research and how we can see that in our own church? Yeah, so Marks of a Movement is uh, the subtitle of the book is What the Church Today Can Learn from the Wesleyan Revival. And I, I like to use the term Wesleyan Revival as opposed to Methodist because it kind of bypasses all the contemporary Methodist stuff. And uh, as you look at past movements, historic movements, and even global movements, there are some similarities that you can kind of see with them. And so one of the things I try to distill in this book is what are kind of core essential marks of a movement. And movements essentially are sociological, you know, it's people. You know, movements are people. These aren't just numbers. These are people's lives. And as people kind of get swept up with a common cause— um, now, awakening happens. I think the unique thing about the Wesleyan Revival is there were methods that came behind the, 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 the awakening, you know, and you, you quoted this yesterday, the great Whitfield quote where, um, you know, he says, you know, my work was just kind of a, a, a rope of sand, you know, but Wesley had a structure, he had a system, he put something in place, and so... Uh, that was really uh, the genius of the Wesleyan Revival was it, it connected people in these disciple-making systems so that they continued to grow in their faith. And so he was an organizational genius and kind of connecting people and, and bands, class meetings, societies, and we can kind of unpack that a little bit more um, here in a minute. One of the things I like to say is movements can't be manufactured. They, they really are a supernatural work of God. There's the factor where we can do things, there are methods that we can do to kind of support and come alongside to, to keep people kind of moving along, but but really movements begin with people's lives being transformed, um, and what we want to do is help them to continue to keep growing in the faith. Um, you also have, as you look at global movements, historic movements, there's always this kind of rediscovery of leaning into the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There is that supernatural element. You can't manufacture yeah. a movement. And it always makes me wonder. I drive by a church and it says revival, and there's like a little date next to it. Yeah. That's always <laughs> been something I... Wow. Yeah. Well, if it's that easy, let's throw it on the calendar. We got three days of revival happening. Let's manufacture and uh, you know organize revival. <laughs> well, and that's one of the reasons, honestly, Chris, I've never... I mean, it's maybe a fault of mine. I've never had a formalized... Revival. Yeah. Well, uh, and I've had like like focused times of repentance, focused times of study. Yeah. But as far as put revival, it on the calendar, revival. Yeah. yeah. October twenty fifth through. That's what makes it revival: the fact that you can't plan for right. and anticipate. Yeah. Right. Now you can, but I like what you said there. You can create a framework by which the the breath of God, or as John Orberg you say, raise the sails. Yeah. To catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, right? Absolutely. And I think that's what the, the West, I mean, it, they called people back to means of grace, prayer, fasting. They said, go go to the Lord's Supper, be in community. Um, you know, they emphasize all the stuff that would put people in close proximity to seeking the face of God. And I, I think that's what we as church leaders that's what we can do. We can pray for that, and we can point people to that, and we can challenge them. But ultimately, it really is a work that the Holy Spirit needs to come in. And I think in the days, I think that's one of the things in the West. We need to we need to invite the Holy Spirit back in. Mm. Yeah, I think um, that's a great challenge. But for when all we us. invite the the Holy Spirit in, we have to lose. There's a little bit of control we lose, isn't there? <laughs> hey, <laughs> How do we control now. the service if we yeah. want God to intervene? Easy now. Well, yeah, here's I'm the thing I've messing. learned. I'm just in messing. China. Uh, you probably heard this, Winfield, but in China, what's interesting is 
the Chinese came to America years ago to inspect what was happening in America. This was years ago when kind of the Back to Jerusalem movement was happening where the Chinese and the East were moving west to Jerusalem to share the gospel. And they came to America to kind of uh, study and investigate what was happening in America. When they came back to China and reported to the pastors, they said, what was it that struck you about American Christians? Here's what they said. It's amazing how much American Christians attempt to do in their own power separate from the Holy Spirit. We can be good at manufacturing and creating and organizing and programming and buffet line of options of ministries, but we really need, as you said, a, a fresh wind of the Holy mm. Spirit. When we come back from the break, here's what I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about um, what Wesley did with these bands, because we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but I really want to help our listeners because we talk about discipleship and disciple making. Wesley was a master of getting these men and women in smaller groups called bands. And I think while we have you, I'd love to hear what that looked like for him and then what that looks like in your own discipleship group, which, which you have and, you, and you're and you part of. So why don't we do that, Chris? You want to give a quick update on what we're talking about this week? You've already heard the guys mention it, and we want to highlight Winfield Bevan's new book, Marks of a Movement. Marks of a Movement calls us back to the disciple-making mandate of the church through the timeless wisdom of John Wesley and the Methodist movement. Winfield helps us reimagine church multiplication in a way that focuses on making and multiplying disciples for the 21st century. In the church, we really need a movement of historic proportions once again. So what would a movement like that look like today? We must look to the past to gain wisdom for the future. And as we look at the pages of church history, there's no better example of a multiplication movement in the West than the Methodist movement of the 18th and 19th centuries. Marks of a Movement highlights the lessons and the key insights from that time and enables us to reapply these timeless pieces of biblical wisdom for today. I've read it. You should check it out. It's a great resource. Go learn some more about it at marksofamovement.com. And we're back. We're talking about movements. We're talking with our friend Winfield Bevins, and he's just given us some great insight. And again, we, we're talking about really discipleship. I mean, when it boils down, uh, there's a lot of pieces to this, but when it, when it comes to a movement, we see how Jesus started with a few. He impacted them, and then he told them to go and do the same. Yep. And for some reason, over the years since, we have changed ministry to be so many different things, but we kind of bring it back to uh, what were we talking about right before the break that you wanted us to lean into a little bit more with Winfield? Yeah, well, the thing is, as Winfield would say, he's over church planning in Asbury, but we're really not planning churches. We're planning disciples. Mm. And then disciples lead churches, right. obviously. Um, but one of the things uh, we talked about is the band. We were talking about Wesley's band emphasis. So you gave me a book yesterday mm. that we both uh, know this author, and he's a, he's a friend of both of ours. His name is Kevin Watson. The mm -hmm. book's called The Band Meeting. So I had the book at home and my boys this morning, and I showed them a book Winfield wrote on uh, family discipleship, yeah. which is another. We're just giving book Growing ideas. at Home is the book that yeah. he wrote we're about We're giving the book ideas all day. I mean, today. I'm just telling you. Somebody's got to write these, we're liberal and somebody with has. Well, we're going to load you up with Winfield's book, Growing at Home. And so I was showing my boys this book, Growing at Home, and then I said, look, here's another book called The Band Meeting. So my boys who are in a discipleship group with me naturally ask, what is a band? And I said, well, it's like a D group. And here's, here's what my son Rick said. Did John Wesley get that from you? I said, actually, son, John Wesley started that in 1750. So I don't think I, uh, he got that from me. But anyway, I thought it was funny, my son, thinking about the band meeting. Okay, tell us about what was Wesley's band meetings like back then? 
And how can we adapt some of that for our time today in discipleship? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the band meeting really, I think, was Wesley's favorite. You know, Methodism is really known for the class meeting, which would correlate to what most of us would think in terms of a small group. But the band meeting was really his favorite. This was kind of the small, intimate space of, say, three to five people. Um, there, there is something, you talked about that yesterday, there's some about that dynamic of if it's just one-on-one, then it can just kind of be the ping-pong match. Um, but if you have three people, there's really accountability to going deep. And so this, the band meeting, again, it's not like a rock band. Uh, you got to explain that to people up front. Um, but really, it's this intimate space where three to five people, it's an odd number typically where they're People can really get down dirty with where they are in their life. It's life on life. Um, you know, in most cases, it's um, gender specific. So people can really kind of deal with issues that, that maybe they are struggling with. And, you know, the bands always opened up with, you know, how is it with your soul? And so this was like a holy hour where people move beyond the shallow and they went into the deep. And bands aren't, what I love about it is, and I think this is where we've kind of propped up Christianity in the West with curriculum and programs. There's no curriculum to the band. It's just asking each other deep questions and inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and search our souls together. And that's where the leadership pipeline really emerged in the early Wesleyan revival. Um, people really got serious with God and leaders really emerged out of the band meetings. Wow. Yeah. What's interesting is that first question is so thought provoking. So Chris, let me ask you that question. How, if we were doing this D group band meeting right now, we've got Dylan on my left, we've got Winfield on the right and I've got you face to face. How is it with your soul right now? Um, busy. Really? That's what I would say. Okay, yeah. With my soul right now, I need to stop. Right. I'm glad tomorrow's Friday because that's the day I do that. So right. And I need to rest. Well, but you see, but that's a good question. You see where I'm asking that? And you're listening. You're thinking, wow. And let me ask you listening. How is it with your soul? Now, imagine if you asked that question every week. You think about how this works, right? People ask us all the time at Rev Clay, what's the curriculum? Give us a workbook. They want one. They, they bet they, they've been asking us for years. Give us a curriculum. Give us a workbook. Give us a fill-in-the-blank book. Give us a, a multiple-choice test. You know, we want something to write down. That's our Western way We even learning. have some people who turn our take the stuff and make a workbook. That's right. They, they and then can. send us the workbook. <laughs> like, y'all ought to use this. And the thing we tell them is we have one textbook. It's the Bible, right? It's like kind of a novel idea. One textbook, the Bible. And you never graduate from the Bible. So why don't you read the Bible together ask accountability questions and journey and watch yeah. with God. And it's kind of a novel idea, but Wesley knew this back That's then, yeah. like just gathering together. What are some of the other things that Wesley did in the bands that I think can help those listening? Or maybe some of the things you've learned in your own meeting. Yeah. So in the back of marks of a movement, I've got kind of a contemporary guide. Um, so really the, in the back, there's some stuff that churches, church leaders, Christians could just kind of just take and use rip off, cut and pay, you know, like, and, you know, it's an adaption of Wesley's early questions. So how is it with your soul? Um, you know, what, what are your struggles this week? Is there any sin in your life? Are you keeping anything secret from the group? And then the last question is, how might the Spirit be moving in your life? And so there are these searching questions uh, that cause you to go deep. And when you're in this group week in and week out, and 
your brother or sister says to you, hey, are you keeping anything secret from us? It's pretty powerful. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you know, you know you're lying if you don't. And again, that intimate space week in, week out, you just look forward to it. And so I'm in a band um, with three other guys, and it's been really profound. One of the things that it's really done for me, kind of following up on your thing, I think we all feel busy. You know, we're all kind of rushing, and I, I fly, I do a lot of travel. As soon as I leave here, I'm flying to England, and, you know, I do a lot of international travel. What the band has done for me, it has forced me, it doesn't always feel good. It's not exciting to have someone ask you these questions, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. is there any sin in your life? Sometimes, you know, yeah, yeah man, I, you know, I, I blew it this week. And yeah. the thing that, the, I, I think the gr- great thing that it's really done for me, it's forced me to be present, each week for an hour, it's forced me to slow down. I leave my phone in the car, um, and I'm with kind of a band of brothers, and I'm present in that moment, and it's actually impacted the rest of my week. Wow. It's allowed me to be more present to my family, to the work that I'm doing, um, and so it's caused me to slow down and think more deeply about the words and the deeds that I do. Okay, so think about how profound that is. I'm reading a book. I'm preparing for a series on stress and anxiety, depression, suicide, worry, all all of that goes together. And one of the things I'm finding in all of this is that the reason people, and you just fill in the blank with any any of them, the reason people are worried, anxious, depressed is because they are never in the present. This is what all the research is finding. I'm finding. They're always worried about something that happened in the past or they're anticipating something that may happen in the future, which may not. And even I know in my own life, when I get nervous and anxious about, sometimes never materializes, never. But we worry about. So that's so that's so cool that he said. I never thought about this. When you come to the discipleship group, the band meeting, what you're doing is you're coming and you have to be present to answer these questions. Yeah. And you have to investigate your soul in in, in recovery. When I was getting clean from drugs and alcohol, the first step to sobriety. Mm-hmm. is awareness yeah you know what i'm saying like you have to be aware there's an issue yeah i think there's a correlation i think that's the genius as well of the the 12-step program is it forces you to deal with the stuff in the present and yeah. chuck hunter looks at this and george hunter the third who uh, has written a number of books he was at asbury he was the dean of the school of world contagious Mission. contagious yeah, yeah, yeah. um he that. also wrote a great book called um the celtic way of evangelism <laughs> And he looks at discipleship so in community, That's and he actually one. parallels the you know the twelve step program communities to how the church should actually be these wow. these places of accountability, which is essentially what Wesley was doing in the band meeting. That's right, right. And I think a lot of people don't know this. Maybe Wesley learned about bands and societies, and maybe you can help me. This is what I found in, in researching from Zinzendorf and the whole movement of the Moravians. Did you you know this obviously? But Wesley uh, came back from America. He sees the story goes. He sees Whitfield, who invites him to come on his first journey. Wesley, in a sense, didn't have a lot of success. Whitfield goes and blows it open, and God uses him on that. So Wesley comes back and kind of does some soul searching and goes and studies or spends time with the Moravians, and he's blown away by how these people are living in community and confessing sin and growing spirit. He never saw anything like that. Felt like it was a slice of heaven on earth and takes that back. And Wesley, the organizational genius that he is, formalizes classes, I mean, societies, classes, and bands, and the rest is history. And here we are. And here we are. Here we are. Well, again, the beauty of this, anyone can do it. 
It doesn't take a seminary degree. You don't have to have a PhD. There's no curriculum. That's, that's what I love about it. It's, that's it's, true. You can Boy, replicate good. this so good. all around the world. And it's it doesn't cost anything. No. <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. Any believer filled with the Spirit, with yes. the Word of God, can invest in the people of God. That's it. Well, I want to thank you, Winfield, for being with us today, having this conversation. A lot more to talk about. But if you want to find out more about Winfield, go to winfieldbevins.com, and you can find out a lot more about his books, training, and what he is up to. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a friend. Give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast listening app. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.